Father in heaven, here we are. We're here in your presence longing for a word from you. We're asking that your spirit would touch our hearts this morning. We're asking that you would come close to us in a special way and that you would teach us how to walk more closely with you than we've ever walked with you before in our lives. Lord, the times we're living in are urgent times. The world is full of chaos and we recognize that we need to be close with Jesus. So Lord, we're praying that you would speak to us through the power of your word and that we would walk out of here with practical tools that would enable us to have a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus. Thank you, Father, so much. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Imagine that you were there in the courtroom. It's time for sentencing. The first defendant comes up, and as he comes to the front, the the judge begins to list the offenses that he's being convicted of. They don't really seem like that big of a deal to you. I mean, he had done some things wrong in his ceremonies and in his religion. He'd not followed instructions in war. There were were some, some crimes clearly that he had committed. But when you heard the judge tell him what his sentence was, you thought, wow, this court is not messing around. Because they gave him the death sentence. So that this was going to be the result of his crimes. So you wondered what would happen when the next man came up and you heard some whispers, well, this guy is really a criminal. And as they began to list the charges against him, he was an adulterer. He had stolen somebody's wife. He was a murderer, a liar. The list kept on going. And as you heard all of these things, you said, well, if the last guy got the death penalty, I don't know what they're going to do to this guy. Maybe torture him and then give him the death penalty. So imagine your surprise when you hear the gavel come down. You say, innocent, you can go free. What would that do in your heart? If you saw this treatment in the court, wouldn't you wonder, what is the, where's the justice? What's going on here? I don't understand why this is taking place. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel, actually we'll go to chapter 16 first. In the book of 1 Samuel, we find the story of two different kings. Two different kings who lived entirely different lives and who had entirely different end results to their lives. And there's a key to this, I believe. First Samuel, let's go actually to chapter 15, sorry about that, verse 22. Here we find King Saul. He's the first king of Israel and he has refused to follow instructions. Earlier in First Samuel chapter 13, he had gone ahead and offered sacrifices because it had taken too long for Samuel to get there. And so he had offered sacrifices, innocently enough, but violating God's law of how things should happen with sacrifices. And God had said, I'm looking for a man after my own heart that I can place as king after that. But here in chapter 15, we find that Saul has rejected God's instructions, and he's done it, he believes, for a good purpose. He has not put to death Agag, the king that he had gone to conquer. He has not put to death all of the the plunder that they had gotten. And as Samuel comes, he says, what what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear in my ears? If, If you've been faithful in following God, what is going on here? Saul says, well, we saved these sheep so that we could have more sacrifices to give to you, to God. We, we just wanted to offer an offering to God. We just wanted to be merciful. Was it really that big of a deal? Then Samuel says this in verse 22. So Samuel said, Has the Lord God as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion 
as, 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 as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. God is saying to, to Saul, you've been thinking about sacrifices, you've been thinking about following these rituals, but in reality, the stubbornness in your own heart, the rebellion in your own heart is a far bigger problem. And then this is the key line. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Saul rejected God's word. When God sent rebukes to Saul, he made excuses. He, he gave all the reasons for why he had done what he had done. And he refused to acknowledge that he had sinned against God. And so he was rejected as king. And God begins to reveal that he has a plan to bring a man after his own heart. In Acts 13.22, when Paul is preaching, he says, And God chose a man of Bethlehem, Jesse, a son of Jesse, David, a man after his own heart. But if you think about the life that David lived, you think about some of the mistakes that David made, He made some significant sins against God in his life, didn't he? If you think about his sin with Bathsheba, this is later on in his life, when he's there on his rooftop, he should have been off in battle like the rest of his men, but he's there with time on his hand, he's got nothing to do, and so he begins to look around and he sees this beautiful woman bathing on her roof, and because he's a king, and he's begun to become hardened by all the authority, the power that he has, He knows that in that society, kings can get what they want. And so he calls for this woman and he cheats on his wife and cheats, has her, and steals her from her husband. Then in the process, you know the story, he eventually has her husband murdered. And he continues to live in this lie like nothing significant had happened. But then, When the prophet comes to David, Nathan comes and he tells him this parable. He says, there is a man who had many sheep. And he was wealthy and he had all that he needed. And then there was a man who was his neighbor who was very poor who only had one tiny little lamb. And that lamb was would eat from this man's table. He was very precious to the man and They were very close, and and then one day, visitors came to the wealthy man. And as they came to the wealthy man, he decided that he wanted to fix a meal for his visitors, and rather than get one of his many sheep, he went across to his neighbor, the poor neighbor, and grabbed his poor little, little lamb and fixed it for his guests. David was outraged, looking at that scene, and said, that man should be condemned and should have to repay four times as much as what he's taken. And Nathan the prophet, in boldness, looks up at that king and points his finger at him and says, you are the man. That's a brazen thing to say to a king. We live in a society with freedom of speech where we don't have to be afraid of what we say. But in that day, to say something like that to a king A king could have you put to death on the spot. And oftentimes you find that when prophets come, kings did try to put them to death. Kings did try to do whatever it took to silence them. But not David. David instantly, when he recognized that this was the voice of God speaking to him, he received the word of God and he repented. There were still tragic consequences as a result of his sin. It still cost him a lot. But his heart was soft. He was sensitive to the voice of God. And he repented quickly because he received the word of God. David was a man after God's own heart. Now, if you think about it, how does this apply when God has never sinned? God has never committed some sort of crime. How does this apply at all to the way that that God lives. We know what God is like because 
Jesus came and revealed God in human flesh. And if you think about how Jesus lived, was there ever a time where the Word of God came to Jesus? As he was a boy and he's reading those scrolls and he's reading different scriptures. And as, as he hears the voice of God through what he had inspired before becoming a human, as he hears that, did he ever disagree with what was there? Did he ever say, no, I think I'm actually, this is the reason why I don't really need to follow what this has to say. You see that the mind of Christ, the mind of Jesus, always received the word with a humble heart and followed it. Does that make sense to you? And you see this in David's life. Let's look at another story that's a little bit clearer. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, we find another story that's a little less familiar about the life of David. David has fled to the wilderness of Paran because Samuel has died. Samuel was the one who anointed him as king, and it's gone on so long that Saul's been persecuting him that now Samuel has actually passed away. And for David, this is a terrifying thing. David is being persecuted. David is not experiencing victory. He's not seeing the promises of God fulfilled in his life, at least the one of him becoming king. And so David flees down to the wilderness of Paran. And in the wilderness of Paran, near uh, Carmel, there was a man who was very wealthy, who had a lot of sheep. And David's men, he had about 600 men at this time, they decided that they were going to protect this man and his sheep. And they would make sure that, that no robbers came in and stole the sheep. They would make sure that, that these sheep would be protected from wild animals. And in this day, this was a, a very valuable thing to have a, a group of armed men that would protect your flocks. Because you would naturally expect that some of your flocks would get taken by robbers and some of them would end up the prey of, of wild animals. But for Nabal, his flocks were protected by David and his men. Nabal's name, interestingly enough, is something like fool or foolish. And Nabal proves himself to be extremely foolish because the custom in that day was that when the time of shearing of your flocks came, that you could expect that people might come to you and that you would share of the wealth that God had blessed you with. So at this time, when David hears that Nabal is shearing his flocks and that he's having this festive occasion, he sends ten of his men to go to Nabal and to say, hey, you remember us? We're the ones who protected these sheep. You have all of this because we've helped you out all this time. And so we were just thinking during this festive time that you might share just a little bit of what God has blessed you with. And Nabal, being the fool that he is, completely rejects the offer. And he says, I don't know who you guys are. You might be somebody who's run away from your master. I don't know who David is. I don't have any need to give you anything. So they leave and they go back to tell David. And as soon as David hears this, he reacts. You know how it is when you hear that somebody's wronged you? When you hear that somebody said something about you? When, you? when you feel like you have been mistreated, you know that reaction in your stomach. When you're ready to get even with them, you know the feeling? We've all felt it many times in our lives. We're ready to set things right. We're ready to fix things. And David grabs his men and he takes 200 of them and he leaves them to guard the supplies and then he takes 400 of them and he says, we're going to wipe out Nabal. We're going to teach him a, re a lesson. We're going to get what we deserve. So he begins to march. You imagine as he's taking his men and he's headed off, he's going to attack Nabal. At the same time, a servant goes to Abigail, Nabal's wife. And as she hears from the servant that that Nabal has treated these ten men this way and sent them off. And the servant says, really, they did treat us so well and they protected our, our flocks and really they did deserve what he was asking for and we're a little scared of what's going to happen now. 
Abigail immediately springs into action. And she goes and she begins to get supplies. She gets all of these cakes of figs and all of these loaves of bread and grain and all these different things and begins to load them up. And she says, I'm going to take this to David. And as she goes to David, can you imagine this moment? Here you have this woman with some food with her headed to meet an army with 400 people coming to kill your husband. Does this seem like something that's going to turn out very well? I mean, what is she going to do? How is she going to convince him? He's angry. He's upset. He's on the warpath. He's ready to kill. What stops him from killing her at this moment and taking all of that she has and then going on and killing her husband? But we pick up the story and we begin to see what she says to David in verse 24. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be, and please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Listen, listen to what I have to say. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek your harm, for my, uh, who seek harm for my Lord, be as Nabal." She's speaking in faith. She says, since God has kept you from avenging yourself, since God has kept you from shedding blood without cause. And she repeats this same idea later on. This is the beautiful, wise speech that she gives. She's asking for forgiveness on behalf of Nabal. But she goes on to say in verse 30, And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that He has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel. She believes the promises. She knows that David's going to be king. She says, when you become king, think about this, David. Verse 31. That this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord. Either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Do you see what she's doing? She's pointing him to the promises of God, but she's also pointing him to the law of God. She's reminding David that David that God has said in Deuteronomy chapter 32 that vengeance is mine. God has made it very clear that Bloodshed is punishable by death. And, and she wants to point David in a gentle, clear way to the Word of God. And at this point in time, David has a choice. He can immediately lash out and say, do you realize what your husband has done to me? Do you realize that he better come out here and make things right? It doesn't work for his wife to come to me. He could lash out in a million different ways at this point, but look at David's reaction. Verse 32, Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to me. And blessed is your advice. And blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried to come to meet me, surely by morning light, no males would have been left to Nabal. David blesses this woman who comes and rebukes him for what he's about to do. He's on his way to kill her whole household. And David listens to what she has to say and doesn't just say, all right, that's fine, give me what I deserve and leave. But instead, he blesses her. You're blessed because you came and you shared truth with me. You came and you revealed that I was about to avenge myself. I was about to go the wrong way. You're blessed for this. In the book, Patriarchs and Prophets, talking about this story, it comments, page 667, saying, There are many who, when they are reproved, think it praiseworthy if they receive the rebuke without becoming impatient. 
You know how it is. You feel good about yourself when, oh yeah, they rebuked me and I didn't yell at them for that. I, I took it. I handled it. But then it goes on to say, but how few take reproof with gratitude of heart and bless those who seek to save them from pursuing an evil course. But you see, this was exactly the attitude that David had had as he wrote the Psalms. Look at Psalm verse 44 and verse 5. In Psalm chapter 44 and verse 5, we find that David says exactly this should be our reaction when reproof comes. Sorry, 144 and verse 5. Psalm chapter 144 and verse 5. Verse 3 and 4 talk about how we should set a guard over our lips. We should keep watch over the door of our mouths. And then verse 141, I'm sorry. We'll go back to 141. Verse 3 says, Set a guard, over, O Lord, over my lips. Keep watch over the door of my mouth. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. And then verse 5 says this, Let the righteous strike me, and it shall be kindness. And let him rebuke me, and it shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. Don't let me refuse a rebuke. Don't let me refuse the strikes of righteousness that is coming for my own good, that is there to help me, that's trying to protect me from, from doing that which God has clearly warned against. You know, in Romans 13, it's very clear that it says, don't repay evil for evil. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Rather, overcome evil with good. Is your enemy hungry? Then feed him. Is your enemy thirsty? Then give him something to drink. And David begins to learn this in his life. It's a fascinating thing to watch what happens in David's life because later on, as David is experiencing some of the consequences of the mistakes that he's made, his son Absalom tries to take his throne. And when Absalom marches on the city of Jerusalem, David hears that he's coming. Rather than immediately getting his forces ready and fighting for Jerusalem, David drops everything and takes those who are loyal to him and leaves the city humbly leaves the city. He's going up over the Mount of Olives. And as he's going up over the Mount, there's a guy by the name of Shimei who comes out. And this guy comes out cursing David. And he's picking up pebbles off the ground and he's throwing them at David as he goes. And immediately some of his top generals next to him say, David, let us strike this guy down. Let's, let us kill him right now. But David had a heart like Jesus, a heart that was willing to forgive, a heart that was willing to extend mercy like he had received mercy. And David said, no, we don't need to punish this man for this. We'll leave him in God's hand. And he continued to extend mercy to him. Even when he came back later on and the kingdom was restored to him, he continued to extend mercy to this man who had cursed him. You see this again and again in David's life. David walked closely with God. David had a heart of mercy, a heart of love, a heart of compassion. David had a heart that quickly repented. And though you might compare his sins to Saul, and you might see the two of them if they were arraigned in court, and you might say, well, why did Saul end up with such a terrible judgment while David walked away being called a man after God's own heart. Now, David was called a man after God's own heart before he went through and committed some of these heinous sins. But you can see how that heart continued to reveal itself. And God had seen that heart from the beginning. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, let's look at what it was that led David to such a close walk with Jesus. A walk that led him to have a heart that was just like God's heart. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Samuel has come to anoint one of the sons of Jesse. And as he goes through looking at the sons of Jesse, he first notices the eldest, the tallest, the strongest, the one who looks most like he should be king. And as he says in verse 6 that surely this is the Lord's anointed, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. 
For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. God wants to know, is is his heart receptive? When I send judgments, when I send rebukes, when I send commandments, how is his heart going to respond to these things? Is there a closeness between us? Jesus actually tells us in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 that in the end there are going to be many who say Lord, Lord who will not enter the kingdom of heaven but he says those who do the will of the Father will enter. It matters where our heart is at. As we live in the last days of earth's history it matters the response of our heart when we hear the voice of God speaking to us. What gave David such a sensitive heart? I have to know this because just to let you know, I haven't always been a compliant child. I remember when I was in second grade, I was going to a little school back in Pennsylvania called Blue Mountain Elementary. My teacher was Mrs. Arnold. It might have been third grade by this point. I had been learning about the Secret Service. My brother was really into the FBI and he would tell me about how they had to endure torture and, and not say anything. And it would tell me all these different stories about... And I began to have this dream of becoming a Secret Service agent, of working for the FBI. And I began to think about how to practice this. And, and one day we were there in the classroom, and you know how things go in the classroom. We were talking back and forth, and Mrs. Arnold was out of the room. when all of a sudden, Mrs. Arnold came back into the classroom, and she said... Who, who was talking? Who was the one doing this? And we all were silent. I was one of the ones talking, and I think she knew it because she immediately went over and she picked me out of my, my seat and she picked another student out and she said, come out here into the hall with me. And immediately I began to think about how I wanted to be a Secret Service agent. I wanted to be an FBI agent. So I determined that I was not going to divulge any information whatsoever. I was going to be completely silent. So there we are standing in the hall and she is asking me, so what happened, Zach? What was going on? What were you talking about? Zach, I need, I need you to explain what, what was happening there. Just going through my mind. Just don't say anything. Just, just you're, you're practicing to become an, a federal uh, Bureau of Investigation agent. You need to be able to hold your peace when you're under persecution. She kept interrogating me. I kept not responding, and needless to say, I think I ended up in the principal's office that day. It wasn't pretty for me when all I had to do was respond. All I had to do was say, Mrs. Arnold, I'm sorry. I was the one talking. And the punishment would have been very insignificant compared to the punishment that I received for being determined to rebel against authority. There was another time when I was in fourth grade at a different school and moved across the country. I was in a one-room school in Oakhurst. And again, I felt like somebody in the... Well, this time I felt like somebody in the classroom was being mistreated. I thought that this first grader was not receiving what he should receive. He wasn't able to call home because he was claiming that he was sick. And so I began to tell the teacher that, listen, if you don't call... If you don't let him call home, I'm calling 911. And the teacher was telling me, no, 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 you're not going to do that. I said, yes, I will. You can't stop me. I'm going to call 911. And the conversation went on and on until finally my mom got called and I was the one who went home. (laughs) Naturally, I don't have a compliant heart. Romans chapter 8 says that the carnal mind is at enmity with God. It's not able to be subject to the law of God. It says, Verse 8, that so those who live in the flesh are, are not able to please God. Naturally, we don't have the compliant heart of David. We don't respond to the Word of God with repentance. We don't immediately say, yes, God, I'm thankful you brought this to me. Please forgive me. Please lead me in the way of life. Naturally, we react. We harden our hearts and we want to do everything but what God has called us to do. But not David. David was a man after God's own heart. 
Continuing reading in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we see a little picture of what it was that made David a, a, a man after God's own heart. Now, David was a shepherd. He was the one who watched the sheep while the rest of the brothers did important things. Now, after he'd been anointed king, he went back to his shepherding. He didn't go and try to campaign and try to set himself up as king, but he went back to his flocks. And we learned something crucial about the type of shepherd that David was. He wasn't just there twiddling his thumbs out with his sheep. But verse 18 tells us that when people are looking for somebody to help Saul, because at this point, the Spirit of God has been withdrawn from Saul. Saul is disturbed. Saul is upset. His counselors try to find somebody to help him. And they say, would you mind if we go looking for somebody who can play the harp skillfully? And verse 18 says this about David, Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Here he is, just a young shepherd. But people recognize who he has become. He's doing a simple job, a job that, that many people didn't want anything to do with, that, that the Egyptians looked down as one of the most unclean jobs possible. But in it, he's seeking God with all of his heart. And people begin to notice that he has spent much time with God, and so God is with him, and he's become prudent in speech. He's become a skillful on his harp. He has God with him. He's walking closely with God. He's a man after God's own heart. And just look at some of the Psalms that David wrote. They reveal the beauty of the hunger that David had for God. Go with me to Psalm chapter 63. This is one of my favorites. Psalm chapter 63 gives us this picture of the hunger of a psalmist for God. Starting in verse one, it's the psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Imagine that you are being persecuted, you are being chased, your life is being hunted, and you are there with your harp, and these are the types of songs that you are composing. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. He's in the midst of the worst trial of his life. He's being hunted like a, a dog. And yet he's saying, God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. I'll, I'll get up early so that I can spend time with you. My soul thirsts for you. I may be out here in this wilderness where there's not much water, but my soul is really thirsty for you, God. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul will be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. It says, God, a relationship with you is more satisfying, more joyful, more fulfilling than when I sit down to eat that steak dinner. It satisfies me more than eating a hamburger for lunch. To have you in my life, to appreciate your loving kindness is better than life. This was the type of relationship that David developed from the time he was a young boy, from the time he was a shepherd, as he contemplated the works of God out there watching his sheep. As he spent time composing songs, praising God, he was constantly meditating on the goodness of God. He was constantly spending time in the presence of God, and God was with him. In the books, Patriarchs and Prophets, talking about this experience of David in verse 642, it says, who can measure, page 642, it says, who can measure the results of those years of toil and wandering among the lonely hills? The communion with nature and with God, the care of his flocks, the perils and deliverances, the griefs and joys of his lowly lot were not only to mold the character of David and to influence his future life, 
But through the psalms of Israel's sweet singers, they were in all coming ages to kindle love and faith in the heart of God's people, bringing them nearer to the ever-loving heart of Him in whom all His creatures live. God, God had led David to focus on His goodness. God had led David to meditate on His amazing love. And it radically transformed the heart of David. In Colossians chapter 3, it actually tells us to live like David lived. It tells us to have a soft heart like David's heart. Colossians chapter 3, and it actually tells us to sing psalms like David sung. In verse 3, verse 12, it says this, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. Have a tender heart towards each other. Put on tender mercies. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. Long-suffering. Can you imagine a person like this? Would you like to be friends with a person like this? Would you like to be a person like this? Would you like for your spouse to be a person like this? Would you like for your kids to be a person like this? How about your parents? What if they treated you like this at all times? Bearing with one another. Be patient with one another. Forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. You've been forgiven by Jesus. You better extend the same to others. He's a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of compassion. And the question is, will we allow Him to give us the same heart? Or will we be like Saul and make excuses for why we're doing what we're doing? Will we allow Him to create in us a clean heart? But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond, the unity of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. See, here's the key thing. To receive the Word of God. Let it come into you. Let it dwell in you because this has the power to transform your heart. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. How? In Psalms. God calls you to be a psalmist. (laughs) And in hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. God calls us to put on tender mercies. He calls us to have kindness, to have humility. He calls us to have a repentant heart. And friends, it's only as we have seen the goodness of God, like David saw the goodness of God, that we can really come to the place of repentance. If you go back just a couple of books to Romans chapter 2, it reveals to us that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. In verse 4, it says, Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God, it's not that the power of God. It's not the the scariness of the judgment, but it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. When you see how wonderful God is, that His loving kindness is better than life, it should lead you to accept His Word and to humbly repent, to have humility of heart before Him. Verse 5, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. We have a choice here. We can on the one hand see the goodness of God, see how wonderful God is, and we can respond to that by allowing him to forgive us, by repenting and by extending that forgiveness to others. Or we can choose in our lives to harden our hearts to become selfish, to decide to avenge ourselves, to decide to make excuses for the mistakes that we've made, to decide to not own up to who we've become. And that hardness of heart will lead to wrath in the judgment. David knew how crucial this was. David knew the difference that praying for God to work in his own life could make. 
He knew the difference that receiving the Word of God could make in his life. In Psalm chapter 119, we find this beautiful psalm that I believe David wrote. It doesn't tell us for sure at the beginning of it, but it, it seems very uh, in line with David's psalms. But if you pick it up in Psalm 119 and verse 9, it says this. David, imagine him being a young man. Imagine him being there as a shepherd. He says, this was the key that led me to having a heart after God's heart. Verse 9, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Verse 127, he actually says that about the commandments. He says that I treasure them much more than fine gold. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I think about what David is saying here, do you know the part of the Bible that he's talking about? He's talking about primarily the first five books of the Bible. How many of you have sat down and read Leviticus lately? I know some of you are on a reading plan and you've just read through Leviticus. How about Numbers? Deuteronomy has a lot more encouragement, we might say, in it. But David's saying, I rejoice in your, I delight myself in your statutes. They're wonderful. I go into your sanctuary and I behold the beauty, the wonders of God. How does he have that experience? Do you ever wonder that? Do you wish that you could have the same experience when you open your Bible that it was just like you saw God's goodness and it led you to repentance? I know I long for that experience in my life. So this morning, I just want to leave you with a very simple acronym that I learned from a pastor, uh, John Piper, in a book, When I Don't Desire God. A great book. I don't agree with everything that he's written, but it's a great book that describes what to do when you feel like that hunger for God is lacking in your life. What to do when I don't desire God. He gives this acronym, I-O-U-S. You can think of it as I-O-U's. I-O-U's. And really that is what we, the place we are in with God. We owe God everything. All that we are, everything that we have, we only take our every breath because God has given it to us. Let alone all that we eat, all that we have in our lives, God has blessed us with it. But I want you to remember, when you go to the Word of God, try this out. Try out this acronym. We're going to start with the letter I. We'll put these verses up on the screen. But if you go to the letter I, we're going to go to Psalm 119 and verse 36. Pray this prayer when you open your Bible and you want to see God in a new and fresh and powerful way. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. This is the psalmist praying. He says, incline my heart. Give my heart a desire for your word, for your law, for your testimonies. Give me a desire for these things. Because naturally, our carnal mind is at enmity with God. It's not natural for us to have the heart of the psalmist where we're delighting in his testimonies, where we're delighting in his statutes. So just pray that simple prayer. Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies. Then, oh, Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. So first pray, God, incline my heart. Give me an inclination to even want to know you through your word. And then pray that he opens your eyes, opens the eyes of your heart to see him and to see wondrous things from his law. And then you, unite my heart to fear your name, Psalm 86 and verse 11. 
Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart with your heart. If we're going to walk closely together, Amos says, can two walk together and yet not be in agreement? God, would you unite my heart to fear you? Incline my heart. Open my eyes. Unite my heart to fear you. And finally, the best of all of these, as you sit there ready to read the word of God in the morning, S. Psalm 90 and verse 14. Satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Now the word there for mercy, you'll see it different ways in different versions. That's the Hebrew word chesed, which is this beautiful word that a lot of versions will end up just putting loving kindness because that's one of the best ways to describe it. It's, It's the love of God. It's the kindness of God. It's the mercy of God. Satisfy me, God, with your love this morning. And don't walk away from your time with Jesus without being satisfied in his love. If you forget that acronym, it's on that study guide. It's on the back side of it. I-O-U-S. Incline my heart. Open my eyes. Unite my heart. Satisfy us early, early in the morning with your mercy, your love. God really wants to do this in a practical way in your lives. This past week, I remember waking up. It was inordinate, inordinately early in the morning. I told you last week about how I claim Isaiah 50 and verse 4, awaken me morning by morning. And some mornings, it's extremely early. I believe it was before 2 a.m. this morning. And as I was, I, I take a shower first so that I can uh, be awake and spend that time with Jesus. And then I was putting my my clothes on in the closet, and all of a sudden this song started to come into my mind. It was a song from our hymnal, a song uh, that, that might be familiar to you. It's number 528, A Shelter in the Time of Storm. The lyrics of the song go like this. I actually had to look it up because it was just the tune going through my mind. It says, the Lord's our rock. In Him we hide. A shelter in the time of storm. Secure whatever may be tied. A shelter in the time of storm. Mighty rock in a weary land, cooling shade on the burning sand, faithful guide for the pilgrim band, a shelter in the time of storm. Are you going through a time of storm in your life? God can be your shelter. A shade by day, defense by night, a shelter in the time of storm, no fears alarm, no foes affright, a shelter in the time of storm. The raging floods may round us beat, a shelter in the time of storm. We find in God a safe retreat, a shelter in the time of storm. O rock divine, O refuge dear, a shelter in the time of storm. Be thou our helper ever near, a shelter in the time of storm. I had to just get out the hymnal and begin to sing this, and you wouldn't want to to hear it, but I just began to sing this out to God because I was just so thankful that He could be a shelter. And then I went to my Bible, and I'm reading through Psalms. I read a psalm a day, and I'd really encourage you to do this. The Psalms have a wonderful way of binding our heart to God. I would encourage you, whatever else you're reading in the Bible, to at least take one psalm a day and just to dive into it and ask God, maybe through that, to incline your heart to Him. And I opened up my Bible, and I read just one psalm a day. So that day, my psalm was Psalm chapter 46. Maybe you know it. It starts off like this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. goes on and on saying, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of of Jacob is our refuge. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. I said, God, you're trying to get something across to me, aren't you? You woke me up with this song in my mind and now you led me to this chapter and, and I think I need a refuge. So God, would you be my refuge today? Friend, I can't tell you as that day went on how incredibly thankful I was that I'd spent time with Jesus that morning. As things began to happen during the day, I began to become shell-shocked by the, the different circumstances that were going on, and I kept remembering that He is a shelter in the time of storm. Friend, incline your heart to God. 
take time in his presence. This was the key for David's life. This is what led David to have a heart after God's own heart. And when he had done that terrible thing with Bathsheba, he was able to pray, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. And God restored him to his rightful place. This is going to be the same in our lives. Lord, we are facing a time of trouble in our lives. One way or another, we're going to see all kinds of things happening in this world. And we need to find a shelter in Jesus. We need to have hearts that are tender, that are soft towards His Word, that respond with repentance. Jesus is coming back soon. And just a closing verse in Hebrews chapter 3, it reveals to us that in this time when Jesus is coming back, it's essential that our hearts be tender towards Jesus. Hebrews chapter 3, we'll start in verse 12. It says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's why it's so essential that we come together like this to encourage each other in God. That's why it's so important that we come to prayer meeting and encourage each other in God. That's why it's so important that we go to a life group, that we have a prayer partner, that we come together to encourage each other so that our hearts not be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear His voice, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Will you join me this morning in praying that God gives us soft hearts, that God gives us responsive hearts, that God gives us repentant hearts, that God gives us a heart after his own heart. It's your desire to ask Jesus for that. I just want to invite you to stand with me as I pray. Father, we're standing asking that you would create in us a clean heart. Lord, we're longing for you to transform our hearts, that we could have the merciful, loving, gracious, tender heart of Jesus. Naturally, we don't have this, Father. Please forgive us, and please create in us a clean heart. Help us to be willing to take the time with you like David did, to be in your presence, to meditate on your goodness, to sing scripture songs in order to remember how wonderful you are. Father, would you lead us to adore you more than we ever have before. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.